Amen. Lord, you are God. We're here to worship you today as we're here every Sunday, but not only every Sunday, every day. We worship you because you're God and there is no other. And we praise your holy name, Lord. We come to you today in the name of our awesome Savior, Jesus. Lord, as we study your word, we want to hear what your spirit has to say to us. But not just hear it, go in one ear and out the other but that we would apply it in our lives to become the men and women, children of God you want us to be. That's what you said, Lord. Pray in this way, that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are your people, and we have to be doing what you said so that your will can be done on this earth. Lord, help us. Empower us with your Holy Spirit to do such things, because without your Spirit, it wouldn't happen. But if we have your spirit and we're unashamed of the gospel of Christ, we have the power to move nations, to turn the world upside down. And Lord, let it be done, even from a little church like this. You turned the world upside down with 11 apostles, and then 12 whenever Paul was added. Or was it 13 when you added Matthias? You turned the world upside down with a few men and a bunch of women who loved the Lord with all their hearts. Lord, today... Use this little church to change people's lives, that they might come to you as they are, but they leave a different person, and they will not stay as they are. They will be changed in a twinkling, in a moment, by receiving Christ as their Savior and Lord and their God and their Deliverer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated, church, for all of you online, we're Glad you're there. You're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. Before we, before we move on, uh, before we get into some uh, notes, or can I say um, information for the church, I want you to get your Bibles out. For those over the Internet, get, turn to Matthew chapter 17. For those of you here, same chapter. Verses 1 through 13, we're going to try to tackle those verses today. You know, this is um, called transfigured. We're going to see Jesus being transfigured into the kingdom of, into a kingdom that he really belongs to, even though he's on this earth. The disciples are going to see him transfigured. That's, you know, uh, just three of them, which fulfilled actually Jesus' words with the last verse of chapter 16, verse 28. So, get your Bibles out um, and turn to Matthew 17. And listen, you're listening to the Freedom Church at Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're there. If you're local to Florida, if you're local to South Florida, we're in Lantana, Florida, which is just south of West Palm Beach, just north of Boynton Beach. You know, we're just off of I-95, if you're on 95, get off at High Paluxo Road, head west a quarter mile, and we're on the right side of the road. So um, you come on by and see us every Sunday at 10 a.m. And also for men, we have a Bible study here at 9 a.m. every Saturday. We hope you come out to that if you're local. So um, you can uh, learn the Word of God and meet a bunch of men that love the Lord Jesus like you do. Listen, if you're online, you can, you can read our beliefs, you can find out our, our address, you can 
find our list of ministries. You can even go to messages from years past if you want. You can even donate online if you choose to. That's freedomchurchpb.org. If you want to send me an email, it's joe at freedomchurchpb, stands for palmbeach.org. And uh, for those online, if you can't make it out, say you're in some other state or some other country, just get a bunch of friends to gather around the TV because we preach the gospel here in expositional studies. We study through the Bible. We've been in the book of Matthew for, oh, I don't know how long now, six months, maybe more. But we're not only staying there, you know, I'm bringing other stuff in from other areas of Scripture so that you can see how this applies in, in, um, in our life. So um, if you're local men, come on out every Saturday, and we're glad to have you. Um, that's about it for us here. Um, I'm going to um, turn to Matthew chapter 17. I have two Bibles up here. Probably people wonder why. See, I love the New American Standard. You know, and this is a Thompson chain. And this is a New King James. So I love to compare verses sometimes, or I like the way one reads better than the other. Or, and if I have a question, I always go to the King James to find out, you know, what it's really saying. Get rid of the these and the thous and find out what it really says. Okay, I'm going to read out of the New American Standard here, Matthew chapter 17, the first 13 verses. <clears throat> Let me start in the last verse of chapter 16, verse 28 of chapter 16. You know, the chapters were added later on, you know, in the 1600s to the Bible, so it would make it easier for us to find uh, different passages that we might need. So um, sometimes I think they could be in the wrong place, you know? So just that doesn't, you're not changing scripture, you're just changing the address of the scripture. Okay? Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and his brother, Andrew and his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. You wish I will make some tab three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah? While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice <clears throat> out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. 
and lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at, the hand, at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. You know, a lot of people in Scripture, they say, listen, Jesus said that, that some of us, you know, will see the, the Lord, what can I say? How can I say it and clarify it? Some, some people say that the Lord is not coming because, um, well, let's see. How can I say this? Let me read that 28 first. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So a lot of people thought, well, no, we haven't seen Jesus coming in his kingdom, so that's it. But we see it right here that the kingdom was revealed to three of Jesus' apostles, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of Jesus' 12 disciples. It, it was revealed so some of them did see the transfiguration and saw the kingdom of heaven in a cloud coming to them. So that is fulfilled. That has been fulfilled. So the transfiguration is, the, is in the fulfillment of that verse in 1628. Here they are. They're climbing a mountain. There's two mountains in that area. One's Mount Tabor and one is Mount Hermon. Now, if you'll find out, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, Mount Tabor is only a two less than 2,000 feet high. So a lot of scholars argue over what mountain was Jesus in. Well, this says a high mountain. Now, if we go to Mount Hermon, we find out it's over 9,000 feet high. So Jesus took them to a high mountain. It most likely was Mount Hermon. And they were very close to one another within traveling distance. I think something like five miles or so. The Word says that Jesus was transfigured before them, and His face shone like the sun, and His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to Him Moses and Elijah talking with Him. The Greek word there for transfigured, <coughs> if you don't know it, is metamorphy, metamorpho, metamorpho. You get it? Metamorpho, metamorphosis is where we get our word. He was transfigured right there before them. They saw him in the cloud. So the, this passage has been fulfilled in Matthew 16, 28. Metamorphosis changed into another form changed into another form on the inside, you might say, for us Christians. 
And that way is what exactly what Jesus said. You've been born again. You're changed. No, you're out. When you got born again, if you weighed 150 pounds, you weighed 150 pounds after you accepted Jesus. If you were beautiful before you accepted Jesus and got born again, you are still beautiful. You know, if you were short, you're still short. If you were tall, you're still tall. The change is on the inside. And that's what people need to know. And that's why it's easy to identify why Jesus said you must be born again. You're changed on the inside and not by an outward appearance. And God tried to show even Samuel as he picked you know, the anointing of King David with the oil. He thought for sure it was those big, brawny uh, sons of Jesse, you know, that was, were strong and handsome. But it wasn't that. It was a little shepherd boy, a young son or brother. And he was a weakling, probably a little scrawny guy. But he loved God. His heart is what? God told Samuel to look at his heart. And that's what we need to do. We today need to look at a person's heart. You know, I heard on the radio this week it was Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans. And, and, and when the scriptures talk about it, what's in your heart comes out your mouth. So when you hear a person, if they're a Christian and they're using F this and F that and, and be this and be that and divorce this and divorce that, they know what's in their heart? Evil. It comes out their mouth. So I don't know where any of you are over the Internet or here, but what is in your heart comes out your mouth. That's just the way it is. The example, of course, is the monarch butterfly. The monarch butterfly goes through four stages of during its life as a monarch Butterfly. First of all, it's not a butterfly at all. The first stage is the egg. And after three or four days, that egg hatches. And a female lays the eggs. And then a male fertilizes it. And then it goes into the larvae stage, which lasts about 14 days after hatching. And then it goes into the papa stage, which I call the cocoon. It's in a cocoon. God's protecting it while it's in a cocoon, while it's being transformed into, into a monarch butterfly. The adult hatches from the papa, and a monarch is now an adult butterfly. Beautiful. I saw two or three of them in my yard just this week. I love them. They're beautiful. Even the caterpillar part is beautiful on a monarch butterfly. They're colorful. You know, they're they're. they're they're nice. I got a little picture there. It's probably too small for you to see on the flyers that you got. You know what? A monarch butterfly only lives about, about 14 days, I believe it is. These, these stages here, it's got like 14 stages in the hatching stage, and then it, and it goes to like, um, like 16 weeks, and that's about it. That's as long as it lives. But they lay plenty of eggs so, so that the Larvae still hatch, and you still see monarch butterflies today, just like you saw them 2,000 years ago if you were alive. That's the same for us Christians. We go through stages at our conversion into Christianity. You know, we have physical birth where God breathed life into us. And then we have the larvae stage as a caterpillar stage. 
It's a decision stage. What are you going to do? Are you going to follow the Lord? Are you going to decide to follow and accept and believe the Lord and become a monarch? Or are you just going to say no? Or if you say nothing, you said no. It's important that you say yes. Your eternal life depends on it. There's people I know that came to this church over the years, and uh, they still think <coughs> that there's only there's one God, and He's the same God that's in Buddhism, and He's the same God that's Allah, and He's the same God of of all these made-up religions, and that's not true. Jesus said completely and totally, without any hesitation, without him, you can't get to heaven. So I don't want to burst your bubble, but you're in the wrong religion. Actually, you have a religion instead of a relationship with a living God who came to this earth and willingly laid down his life to redeem you from your sin and the penalty of it, which is eternal death. You know, that's not good news. But the good news is, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then you go to the pulpit stage. I call it the cocoon. We're in a cocoon, really, right now, even though we're, we're really monarchs, I guess you could say. But in the cocoon, we have, we're protected by the Lord. And when we receive him as our savior our position changes our position changes to we are a child of god now before you before you said yes to jesus you weren't a child of god once you said yes to jesus you are now a positional you have what i call positional sanctification or redemption you are now saved your position is you reign with christ then you have progressive sanctification. And I talked about this yesterday in the men's group. That dash between your birth and your death, which you don't know your death date yet, thank God. You know, but that dash there is that's your progressional sanctification. That's where you're supposed to be growing and progressing in your walk with God. Progress in sanctification. You once were a drunk and now you're not. You once were a uh, pervert and now you're not you once were a liar and now you're not you're progressing in your walk with the lord and god's making you something beautiful just like he's making in that cocoon a beautiful monarch butterfly and then there's perfected sanctification and as you well know we're never going to be perfected on this earth except by the blood of jesus but when we get to the heaven we're going to be perfect. As he is, so shall you be. It's 1 John 4, 17. As he is, so shall you be. In that cocoon, while you progress, your spiritual life comes alive. You're born again. You went through a metamorpho. A metamorphosis, a change. And now you're an adult butterfly walking in obedience to Christ and the Word of God. You know what the Word of God says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, 
all things become new. I'm going to turn here first, 2 Corinthians 5, because I'm going to read the rest of that passage to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 17. You know the verse. You've been a Christian for any period of time. You know it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, just like that monarch butterfly. It was a, it was a caterpillar, and now it's a beautiful creature. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. You should be learning new things. You should be doing new things. Instead of going out and getting drunk on Friday night, you're going out preaching the gospel on the street. Or you're studying your Bible. <coughs> you're staying at home being a good goody two-shoes. But let's go on to the next verse. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now that we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I brought my cell phone up here today because, oh, gee, I lost it. Metamorphosis. Okay, metamorphosis. Okay. Therefore, if any man in Christ, he's a new creature. And it says down here in the 20th verse, Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. That's what we as Christians are supposed to be doing, imploring people to come to know Christ so that they can spend eternal life. But that word ambassador there, I looked it up in in uh, synonyms for, for uh, monarch, and it comes out things like this. King, queen, chief, monarch, you know. So, you know what? You, if you were born again, you've been transformed into a monarch for God. There's even a TV show now. I've been watching it. I'm not sure if it's quite good or not good right now. It's called Monarch. That's a guy who who is a country western singer, and, uh, and he's built an empire. And he's been, been a monarch in, in, in um, what can I say, western um, country music. But he's a king. Well, basically, he's a king. And that's what you are. If you went over to Revelation, you'd find out that you were kings and priests as children of God. You were changed from a nobody that knew nothing, just a pile of dirt that was born and had life into a creature that's beautiful. And if you look at yourself and you don't think you're so beautiful, then it's time for a change. Maybe, maybe you didn't truly receive Christ as your Savior as you were growing up. Here's the imagery. 
in verse 3 through 5. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make the three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. You never wonder how he knew who they were. He never saw them, but he knew. He knew who they were. And just like you, you get to heaven, you know, your, your father or mother are going to be young probably, most likely. You're going to see them just as they were. I will make three tents here out for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He will still, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Christ was transformed. His face shone like the sun, S-U-N. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white. As actually, Luke 9, 29 says that his appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Isn't that the way we see the angels at the, at the, at the rapture? Or not the rapture, but the, but the resurrection? We see them as dazzling white, like no launderer on earth could even get it. In other words, his outward appearance changed, but they knew who he was. And the same with Elijah and Moses. See, because being a Christian is being changed. Believe me, I've been a believer over 45 years. And I am not the same guy that was prior. I can guarantee you that. People would recognize my appearance, but they wouldn't recognize my actions, my beliefs. They wouldn't understand them at all. It's an inward reality of an outward change. You know what? When Jesus was on earth, he was just like us. His, his appearance wasn't changed. But when he was in that cloud with Moses and Elijah, his appearance changed. And while Peter was trying to build tents for Moses and Jesus and Elijah, God interrupts him. Like, shut up, Peter. You're moving too fast, as you always do. You jump to conclusions. He's saying, what do you want to do that for? You know, God's saying, this is my beloved son. Notice the attention is not on Moses and Elijah, even though they were great prophets. The attention is on Jesus Christ and, and him alone, and that's it. And that should be every person's, you know, Peter was a great guy, Moses was a great guy, you know, uh, Elijah was a great guy, but Jesus is the guy. He's the God that came to earth for you. In Revelation 21, verse 23, it tells us, In heaven there will be no more sun. The whole, I guess the whole universe is going to change. The light is going to come from God. There's not going to be a sun shining on earth in four seasons, I would imagine. The God himself, the glory of his, his 
dazzling whiteness will just light up the entire universe. And it's going to give life. God's going to give light. But then it goes on and it says, the lamp is the lamb. The lamp is the lamb. And who's the lamb of God? God gives the light, but Jesus is the lamb. Lamp. And he's the lamb. There's a transition going on here. It's a supernatural event. It is the father's approval of his supernatural son. And this is not the first time the Lord God spoke from heaven. You know that at his baptism, it's, he spoke. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I well please. God himself, God the Father, is making sure we understand who Jesus is. Two visitors are there. Moses represents the Mosaic law. The Elijah represents the Old Testament prophets. And if you remember right, Elijah was caught up in chariot of fire and never died. Moses was taken up into the mountain and evidently God buried him. But the Mos Moses represents the Mosaic law and Elijah represents the prophets. And, of course, the scriptures say that in former days, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks through his sons. That's Hebrews chapter 1. First Thessalonians 4, 13. And a lot of Christians, I don't think they even get it. I think I'll turn there and we'll read it. I'm going to go to the new... American Standard, the New King James, because the words are bigger and I can read them easier. <laughs> First Thessalonians um, 4.13. I'm going to read till the 17th verse. I'll find it. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. You know, Paul wrote this so that we wouldn't be ignorant or uninformed. <clears throat> you need to know this. All of us need to know it. And I quote uh, a lot of this most, a lot of times in Scripture. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. We have hope. The three things that are going to remain is faith, hope, and love. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Hmm. They're coming with him. They're alive. Did you know that? Some people try to read stuff into the Scripture. Well, this is very, very clear. They're already in heaven. Their bodies might be in the grave, but they're in heaven with God. And it's going to clarify that as we go on. 
For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, which ties into verse six, chapter 16 and verse 28, he did come, and there were a few that saw him in his cloud. For this I say to you, the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. They're alive, but they're asleep. How can that be? You know what? When Jesus was in the grave and he was crucified, he was dead, but the scriptures show us alive. he was alive taking care of business. Yes, that's the same thing with us. He was spirit was alive, taking care of business. The one scripture, I believe it's Ephesians 4, says that he led the captives captive and gave gifts to men. Where did he lay and where he he made the captives captives? They were captive in the um, into Absalom's bosom. Absalom's bosom. What is the name? Abraham's bosom. It was alive there. I get I lose words sometimes. Um, he was alive and well. They were there. Jesus went down. He got them. They weren't in hell. It was a part of hell, but nobody entered into heaven yet until Jesus died. When they died, he went down there. He took them up. He, he got the captives who were captive and led them captive to the kingdom of heaven. So he was dead in a tomb, but he was alive. Same thing with the people that have passed. My father and my mother, I think of them. They're with God right now. And there's no doubt about it. Now, when Jesus comes back, he's going to raise their bodies, and they're going to be united in the clouds. And then we who are alive and remain, we caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And you know well as I do that this perishable is going to put on imperishable. We're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. I might be standing here, and you might be sitting in your chair, and just a pile of clothing remain as we go up in the radiant, dazzling white robes that are in God's kingdom for his people. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, they're going to be risen first. We who are alive and remain be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus will ever be with the Lord. And then it goes and says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. These are comforting. It's hope. It's hope. We have hope. We're not dead. We're alive and well. <clears throat> We're not dead at all. You began to truly live when you accepted Christ as your Savior. And you moved from a larvae to a, a monarch butterfly where you became a king and a priest unto God. The point, these two Old Testament pillars understood Jesus. They understood his preeminence and his, his super superiority. And we today need to know, you don't worship Moses. You don't worship Elisha. You don't worship John the Baptist. You don't worship Mary. You don't worship Joseph. You worship the Lord and him alone. 
These two pillars understood that. They knew that Jesus was preeminent. They knew of his superiority. And they treated him as such. Even Mary in the Bible, everybody, a lot of people like to think of Mary or St. Christopher or a whole bunch of saints. You know that you're a saint. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are now a saint of the Most High God. You're probably a monarch saint. You are a saint of Most High God. You know what Mary's last words were in the Bible? Her last words at the, at the wedding in Canaan was, whatever he says, referring to Jesus, do it. She didn't say, whatever I say, do it. Whatever he says, do it. You know what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 through 18? He said, another prophet's going to come up, and he's going to be greater than I. Listen to him, or you will lose your soul. Deuteronomy 18, and that's backed up with Acts chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. So, so listen, Buddha, blah. Muhammad, blah. Allah, Allah, blah. Jesus Christ is Lord and Him alone. There is no other. So if you're in one of those dead religions, you're still dead. If you're in Christ, you're alive and well. And you're a new creature. You're a monarch. From a piece of dirt to a larvae to an egg to a cocoon to a monarch butterfly. Peter's response out of being terrified and being half awake and not knowing what to say. He says in Luke 9.33, And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make these three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. He's half asleep. He was sleeping. Jesus went over and woke him up. He's half asleep, and of course, his mouth speaks before his brain thinks. In Matthew 17, 3 and 4, you know, it says, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Let me ask you a question. What would you do if this happened to you? If Jesus was transformed right before your eyes and you see Moses and Elijah standing there, what would you say? You wouldn't know what to say as far as I'm concerned. You wouldn't know what to say. Your mouth would drop to the floor. What's going on here? He's half asleep. He's seeing a glimpse of heaven being half asleep. Just to say something when he doesn't know what to say. He should just keep his mouth shut. And that's a lesson for us that like to jump to conclusions quickly. Just saying something when not knowing what to say. They missed Jesus' sovereignty. They missed his preeminence. Who else could be transformed right before their eyes into a cloud 
of heaven. When Jesus just told them last chapter this was going to happen, the last verse of the last chapter. And we find out that like six days went by, and already they forgot. They missed his superiority, they missed his majesty, they missed his deity. They were lacking. And boy, today, this world is lacking. They're lacking the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And they side up with religions that fulfill their evil heart to kill people, to beat them up because they don't believe the way you believe. Verses, uh, the voice, here's the voice, Matthew 17, 5 and 6. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. See, Peter didn't know what to say. He's terrified. And so is John and James and John. They're terrified. And then God speaks out of this cloud that came in. You know, this is my son. Don't miss that. This is God's son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. And here's what God says. In him I am well pleased. Jesus is about done with his ministry here. Last week I told you that he's, of just, he's just months away from the cross. Just months away from the cross. And God the Father is saying, in whom I am well pleased. See, Jesus didn't fail. Jesus didn't sin. God the Father is well pleased with His Son. That's the same statement, you know, the Father said at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it's because of His sinless life, and He's almost done. The cross is just waiting for Him within months from this day. God, therefore, is telling them, I accept him. Jesus just told them in the passage we read that he would be crucified. And they still didn't understand. So God the Father is saying, I will accept my son's coming sacrifice on the cross to redeem you and me. He's going to pay the penalty for sin for everyone who will believe and trust in his son. Everyone. Say, so we have a sin problem in this world. Even if you think you don't have a sin problem, you have a sin problem. Number one, Adam and Eve's sin was transputed to all men. That includes you. Christ's righteousness, if you believe in him, was imputed to you. If you believe in him. Do you really believe? That's the question. Not with a head knowledge. No, oh yeah, I go to church. Jesus is there. No, I go to church because I love him. Because he saved me from my sins. Because I received him as my savior. And he made me an ambassador of Christ. Because God's not slow about his promise. 
He's patient towards us, not wishing that any of you would perish, but everyone would come to repentance. He doesn't want you to be lost. He's gave us a plan of salvation, and it's easy to do. You just believe in Jesus. And if you truly believe, the Holy Spirit is entering your life, and he's going to help you with your sin problem. And every one of us have sin problem. So if you think you've never broken the Ten Commandments, your forefather broke it for you, Adam and Eve. So you are a sinner, and you cannot get to heaven unless the blood of Christ cleanses you from sin. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. That's Old Testament and New Testament. God isn't satisfied with the blood of bulls and goats. He's satisfied with the blood of His Son, Jesus, that was shed for you. And if you trample it underfoot, you don't want to know what's going to happen. He's being established above the prophets here. As I said earlier, Moses in, in 1815 says, A new prophet like Moses, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. That means the divinic line. It is to him you will listen. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command them. And that's exactly what Jesus has done, a greater prophet. Yes, Jesus was a prophet. A lot of cult ministries, a lot of fake ministries tell you that Jesus is a prophet. But he's more than a prophet. Calling him a prophet is not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. Calling him Lord and Savior is going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. Because he died for you, not Muhammad, not Allah, not Buddha. He died for you. And it's a proven fact because the tomb is empty. Generations, they've been going to the Holy Land, and they go to the tomb, which they think, and it's empty. And it will always be empty because Jesus is alive. And then in Acts chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, which I alluded to, here's what, it, you know, Mark is quoting, you know, from Deuteronomy. He said, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet, Jesus, shall be destroyed from the people. Tough words, aren't they? That's not good news. The good news is the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as I quoted before, long ago, many people in many ways spoke to the Father through the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks through his son. That's why Mark wrote in chapter 4 of Acts, he said, There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians, So that the name of, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is truth. Jesus said it. I'm the way. I am the truth. In other words, this is not a lie. Or else Jesus is a liar. And that's what you're calling him if you don't believe that. You're calling Jesus a liar. hate to be so blunt, but that's the bluntness of it. 
There's a transfiguration, God's supernatural approval of His supernatural Son. It calls for a supernatural response. That's what this calls for from every individual. This is God's supernatural Son, and you need to, you need to fulfill it with a supernatural response and admit that Jesus Christ is the Lord, whether you like it or not. Every knee is going to bow. Those that are in heaven, those that are under the earth, those that are in the earth, is going to bow to the name of Jesus. The cloud. The cloud usually speaks of a gloomy day. But not in this case. Not so in Scripture. Some cloud events in Scripture, let me give it to you. Israel at Mount Sinai. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And smoke because of the Lord had descended on it in fire. Smoke. And now also, the glory of the Lord leaves the temple in Ezekiel 10. A cloud filled the inner court, and the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud. At the giving of the tablets, the second set, Exodus 34, the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And at Mount Sinai, Isaiah 19, an oracle concerning Egypt, Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud. Cloud effects in the Scripture are a lot different than what we see down here on earth. There's some more. And I could go on and on because there's a whole lot. Solomon, when he brings the ark into the temple in 1 Kings 18, or 8, and when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. So God is represented in the cloud. Did you notice that it says, a cloud, the Lord descended and spoke out of a cloud to, to the apostles at the transfiguration? The Son of Man is given dominion in Daniel chapter 7. And I saw the Lord in the night visions, and behold, with a cloud of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the ancients of days and was presented before him. I love that chapter. Someday I'm going to do an intensive study on Daniel chapter 7. That's what I call the war of all ages. Here, while the boast, uh, while, the, while the devil and his demons are making great boasts against the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man appears in a cloud, and God gives him dominion over everything, and that's where we're living now. We live in that dominion. We have authority in his name to live in that dominion. Jesus already conquered the grave. And the coming of the Son of Man, they will see the Son of Man. Jesus said this in Luke 21. They will see the Son of Man coming in what? A cloud. A cloud. And at the ascension in Acts chapter 1, you remember the angels were saying, what are you staring up to heaven for? This same Jesus was left in a cloud. He's going to come back in a cloud. 
And when Jesus greets the seven churches in Revelation 1, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. And even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Ooh, what a great God we had, have. The charge here, Matthew 7, verse 6 through 9, is to listen to him. Like the monarch butterfly must be transformed, you must be transfigured. From darkness to light, from unrighteousness to righteousness, from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom. You need to be transformed. You need to go through a metamorpho, a metamorphosis, where you're changed from, can I say a larvae? I had stronger words, but I don't want to say them. Not a swear word, by the way. Well, you'll be trained. Okay, let me say, you're going to be changed from a zombie to a monarch. Because zombies are dead, but they're alive, aren't they? That's what the, that's what the TV promotes us. A zombie's dead, but he's alive. No, these people out there that we're trying to win over to Christ, they're zombies that are dead. And they need to be brought into metamorphosis by preaching the gospel to them. And hopefully millions will be saved. They need to be, I don't even know if this is a word, metamorphotized. Well, I made it a word. They need to be metamorphotized, transformed from an immature form to an adult. Being born again to change into a different form. Even though you're the same person, you weigh the same, you look the same, your hair color's the same, you've been changed. You've been different. You're changed into a different form within, because that's what God's looking at. He knows what you did. Well, when you confess your sins to Him, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. He forgot them. He forgot them. We have the hard time remembering them. I don't even want to remember those things. Every time I think of B.C. in my life, I think, oh, my goodness. I get sick in the stomach. How could I have done that? I didn't know any better. I was just a dead person, not alive to anything. We're commanded by the Apostle Paul, who was writing through God. It appeared to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, you're to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. <coughs> we have to be renewed in our mind and in our thinking. Because what we learned up until the time we got saved was wrong for the most part. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We're ministers of a new covenant. The old covenant's passed away. That's a law of sin and death. It's gone. It's been, it's been completed by Christ. That's why at the, at the, at the uh, Passover dinner, Jesus transformed the old covenant into the new covenant, where we are now not saved by believing in... in um, the Mosaic Law, we're saved by believing in Jesus. 
We're saved by believing that his broken body was represented in the bread. We're thinking of his blood that was shed when we drink the cup. And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You're being transformed. Remember I said that dash between your birth and your death? That is your progressive sanctification. You, you progress in your walk. Once you got saved, you don't go like this. You go like this. Sometimes you have a little lump in there, but you're still going upward. You ever see a graph where they, you see the slumps and things, but it always comes up higher when it's at the end? That's the way our life should be. We should be walking more, talking more like Jesus, being more like Jesus. Here's the application. You have, have you been metamorphosized? Have you been changed, really? Did you change from the day you accepted Christ till now? Are you a different person? I know you're going to get that same junk that comes into your mind because the devil likes to throw them in there because he likes to remind you of what you did in the past. This mind is a hard drive. Even though you clean up your computer, it's still on the hard drive. And the devil knows where it's at. And he goes back and he gets it and he throws it in your face. And that's where you come up with the verse in Romans 8, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. You've been redeemed. The Lord doesn't even see your sins anymore. It's you that bring it up before him. And he goes, what sin? You've been, he's been cleansed. You've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And I always tell everybody, there's one thing God can't do, which he chooses not to do, is he can't see your sin through the blood of his son Jesus. And I'm true. I know he can't see your sin. He doesn't want to. He forgot it when you repented. So have you been metamorphosized? You must be born again. Remember, I'll finish it up from here. Remember John chapter 3, Jesus is with Nicodemus. I'm going to read the verses here to you. I might stop along the way just to drive things home a little. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus <clears throat> by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So if you think you're going to heaven because of Mohammed or Bula or Allah or one of those other fake demonic things, then, then you're wrong. Jesus said you're not going to get to heaven unless you're born again. I had this conversation with my brother-in-law probably 40 years ago in New York. He said, there isn't the word born again in the Bible. I said, go get your D.O. version of the, the, the Bible. He went up and got this big Bible, brings it down. I turned to John chapter 3, verse 3, and he didn't know what to say. Jesus said, you must be born again. Guess what? What did Mary say? Whatever he says, do it. 
Not whatever I say, do it. Whatever he says, do it. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You've been a larvae, but you can't enter heaven until you're changed. Water and the Spirit. You were born of water. Your mother had a sack in her. It was filled with water. And when that sack breaks, you know it's time. Well, until you have the Spirit, it's time. Then you've been redeemed. And notice it says in verse 5, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not get to heaven unless you're born again. And I know a lot of preachers lay back from that, but I'm sorry. I'm going to preach the true gospel. You must be born again. Nicodemus was a great man. Watch as we go along. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you're born of flesh, of the water, then you're born. But that, if you're born of the Spirit, then you have to be born again, right? Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, twice in this passage. He says, don't marvel. Don't marvel at it. It's an easy thing. You just believe, and you shall be born again. And the wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from, nor where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Listen, your life has changed since you've been born again. I'm sure it has. If you've been truly born again, your life has changed. You know, I was a pretty successful professional sign painter up north. Had a good business. I'm changed. Sign painting doesn't interest me anymore, although I can do it. I've had a brush in my hand so much that it would stick to my fingers. But you know what? I gave that up to follow God. He had something better for me to do, although I thank Him for that talent He gave me. I changed. Even though I was born again back when I had the business, I changed, I grew from from just a professing Christian to actually a preacher. And the hard blows of my life led me closer to Jesus. Of course, I was drawn away a couple of times, but, you know, I went like this, but I was still going upward. And I hope they'll do that all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, help me. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus answered, you are the teacher in Israel. You know, this tells you about Nicodemus. He was a well-known, probably the most prominent teaching Pharisee in Jesus' day. He says, you are the teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things. In other words, these spiritual things. You know, there's a lot of preachers and pastors today that, that don't understand these spiritual things. 
You are a teacher in Israel and you don't understand these spiritual things? I don't care about what your denomination says. I care about what this says. And this says you must be born again. As a matter of fact, it was right out of Jesus' mouth. You are the teacher in Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus is shocked. He's actually shocked, especially when he saw the Syrophoenician woman and the centurion who had faith that made him shake, you know. He was profounded by these Gentiles' faith, and here's a prominent Jewish Teacher, he didn't understand these things. Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Jesus is saying to them, you know what? You see it happening before your eyes. You know that Messiah is going to come. He's going to heal the sick. The blind are going to see, the dead are going to be raised, the demons are going to be cast out from Isaiah's prophecies, Ezekiel's prophecies, Jeremiah's prophecies, prophecies in Psalm. You see these things happen, but now you don't want to believe. I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You've got to get your mind off of the earth, and put it into the kingdom of God. This earth is perishing. It's going to be gone someday. But you're going to be alive. This earth is gone. It's going to be gone someday. And so he's telling them, I tell you earthly things you don't understand. How are you going to believe greater things like spiritual things? If I tell you heavenly things. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. See, Jesus is saying Abraham's bosom was full until Jesus died on the cross. And then his dead body in the tomb, you know, he, you know, he was um, alive and well, going down to Abraham's bosom, collecting the saints out of there, Moses, you know, Elisha, Enoch, you name it. He takes them out, leads the captives who were captive, captive under his command into the kingdom of heaven and gave gifts to man and he gave gifts but the first gift he gave was eternal life you have to understand these things you're no longer part of this world you're no longer a, a child of the world you're a child of the Lord God Almighty you've been metamorphosized into a monarch a king and a priest and a queen for Jesus Christ no one has ascended to heaven except him who descended. So Jesus is telling you right there, nobody's in heaven yet. They will be. The, except the Son of Man. So he's the only one that came out of heaven to earth and is going back to heaven. And as Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You remember the serpent in the wilderness. Israel complained so much, God allowed serpents to bite them. Poisonous serpents. And God told Moses to make a staff and, and put a, a, a golden, no, a brass snake on it. Brass represents judgment. So he did it. He put a viper on there on a pole wrapped around in bronze for judgment. And he, whenever a person was bitten by the viper, Moses said, look to this. And as they looked to it, the poison didn't bother them. They were immune to the poison. 
That's the same thing. As we look to this cross today, Jesus is not a serpent, but he became a serpent. He became a, a what the hell can I say it? 1 Corinthians 5, 21. Am I still there? No. I know the verse. Let me think. He who knew no sin, that's what I'm looking for, 1 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin, and he was judged for our sins, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He who knew no sin. So as they looked at the serpent in the wilderness on the stick, on the tree, you could say, then the poison didn't bother them. And neither will the sting of death bother you if you look to the cross where Jesus was judged for all the sins of the world when he was sinless, and therefore he was able to take up and live. He was able to rise from the dead because the penalty of sin is death, and Jesus had no sin. So therefore he conquered your sin and my sin. You know what? It's really easy and it's really simple to become a child of God. All you got to do is believe with your heart. And you will be born again. And you will have a new inheritance. You'll have treasure in heaven. You'll have eternal life. And you're going to have a prize as you look towards Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And God's going to give you a crown to wear. And don't get too proud because you're going to cast it at the feet of Jesus because he's the only one that's worthy. Father God, I pray in Jesus' name that these people that heard this message today, whether they be here or over the air, Lord, I pray that they hear and understand that they must be born again. They must be metamorphosized. They must be changed from a man or a woman into a monarch for Jesus, a king and a queen. And they will have a beautiful appearance, both inside and outside, like they never had before. And they will have peace in their heart. And they would have a relationship with you. And all they got to do is cry out to you for the forgiveness of their sins with their whole heart and believe in Jesus. And you will send them the Holy Spirit to help them through this life and to accomplish your will on this earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. I love you all.